1: G'day, welcome aboard Zero-G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1383, entitled The Fateful Eight.
0: (laughs) Very good, very good.
1: Our podcast title is Cloak and Potter. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And today on the show we are talking about uh, the Cloak. And Dagger series on Disney Plus, and also the Mm SF Eight, which is Science Fiction Eight, on SBS on demand. So, Mm, yes, skating around a bit there today. All right, so let's start out with Cloak and Dagger, which we have mentioned before on Zero G. And yes, you've
0: given us a teaser intro to that one before, so I'm glad we're digging in more.
1: Hmm. So this is one of those Marvel television shows kind of sitting in between the Netflix ones and the new ones, you know, the Lokis and the WandaVisions and stuff. So this was uh, produced by a company called Freeform, and it is actually referencing the Marvel Cinematic Universe in small ways, but Mm -hmm. because they've wisely set it in New Orleans instead of New York City, (laughs) that means that they've got this – distance from the MCU which is kind of a good idea mm. but that is not to say that they don't mention some of the events but oddly enough most of the things that they refer to are in the Netflix series so mm, like mm, um, mm. Daredevil and luke cage and so on so that's all right yeah. it just gives us a sort of a feeling that we're in the same universe but you know this is about mm. superheroes so and we're not talking DC so although there is something about this reminds me of a, another duo just as cloak and dagger is a pair of superheroes Uh, Rose and Thorn, uh, ones from the DC universe that this reminds me of just a little bit. But Sail On. Now, this is about the two characters, Cloak and Dagger, the title characters. Mm -hmm. Cloak is Tyrone Ty Johnson and Dagger is Tandy Bowen. And that's a great name, isn't it? Tandy Bowen. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Uh, Male, African-American and female. I could call a Barbie because everybody else does. (laughs) So it's like, okay, let's not go there. But this is uh, from a comic book that was originally created by writer Bill Mantlo and artist Ed Hannigan. And way back in 1982, they first appeared in Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, issue number 64. (laughs) So this has been a long time coming, like a lot of these sort of superhero shows, and it's actually been sitting on the shelf for quite a while, the script, before they decided to make it for this particular incarnation, this new wave of Marvel shows. Now, these ones are all gone now, like Runaways, Mm -mm. Cloak and Dagger, and so on. And uh, this one, what was the other one? Oh, the, The Inhumans. That was one uh, of the yeah. other ones too. And there was one called Hellstrom, which didn't sort of go anywhere. So, you know, these ones are now gone. And I was just digging around in there. No, no, I wasn't just marking time until the next Marvel television series mm-hmm. came along. I'd heard some interesting things about this one because I'm kind mm. of interested in, in New Orleans and the history of that place. And uh, it thought, let's have a go at it. So I did. And I do not regret it. It's only two seasons. But, th- mm-hmm. but they are self-contained and for those of you who get nervous about series that have not finished properly, that have been cancelled, <laughs> they do come to a logical end point for the show and good. and it does feel like they could pick it up anytime time if, if they wanted to.
0: Mm. That is really good to know because I definitely am one of those people where if, if I'm going to embark on a new journey to for a new series, if I already know that current fans have been left disillusioned or left hanging, it's gonna affect whether I'm willing to go all in. So I'm glad to hear that you can at least watch the two seasons and feel somewhat satisfied. Yeah. Oh yeah,
1: you do. It's you just go, oh gosh, it's a pity that it doesn't have yeah. a continuation. But as a little bit of because this is um now an older show, <laughs> I mean mm-hmm. it's not that old, <laughs> it's the twenty first <21st> century. But <laughs> there is a there is some cameo appearances that uh or crossovers actually that Cloak and Dagger do in the Runaways series
0: Ah. so you can have a look at that
1: and the actors have continued to play the voices of these characters that's great in some of the Marvel animated series so that's really cool
0: yeah so yeah Rob you've made it out as though this is an ancient series from many years but it's 2018 this one's come out so yeah that does make sense it's kind of orbiting around the time some of those Jessica Jones those Netflix marvels were were around as well. So I guess that kind of, but I'm surprised that I haven't really heard about it even though it has been out for a couple of years.
1: Well, it've been hovering around on the periphery of my sort of mindset, but I didn't know too mm. much about the characters from the comic books. I have sure. I have since read several of the comic books and you know there's a fairly long history here. They had their own book for a little bit and you know but they've actually appeared in other characters sort of universes and crossover stories and, yeah. and arcs and things. So they, they kind of hover out there in the background. And they're actually quite interesting because their powers are complementary. I did say last, mm. last week that they weren't wonder twin powers complementary, but there is a bit of a, a trade-off between them in how they're used. One of the yeah. aspects of the power is that they can't actually physically touch each other without there being an explosion of energy, which mm. is both – Difficult and useful. Oh, yes, okay. In the way that uh, if Tony Stark and James Rhodes fire their repulsor beams at each other when they're wearing their Mm. armour in the MCU, it causes a massive crossover explosion. So, you know, that, that sort of thing. Now, what their actual powers are, and this is kind of important to get up front because it's like saying what their dance styles are. (laughs) <laughs> in a musical, and 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 that actually has implications too, but we'll get there in a second. Um, Cloak's powers, well, he has to wear a cloak to control his powers, so there, I'll give you that for mm-hmm. free. And basically he's a teleporter, Mm-mm-mm. but there are more things to it than that. He has access to the the Dark Hold or the Dark Fall, or sometimes I just call it the darkness, but that's kind of another different thing in the comic books anyway. But this, right. is a, this is a kind of uh, parallel dimension. Um, yep. And, yes, it is actually dark in this dimension, uh, hence the name. But we've seen this before in Agent Carter, the okay. series, mm-hmm. and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. Um, so okay. there's a further exploration of this
0: yeah. in there. And it okay. doesn't quite
1: physically appear the same as it does in those shows, but it's definitely the same thing they're, they're talking about. Mm, anyway mm, mm, mm. all of his powers link into that. And you'd think that maybe just teleportation is not just that complicated, but because this show really leans into its procedural, they do a really mm. good and thorough going exploration of that. And there's other aspects of it too. This space, this other dimension space can be used to hold prisoners. Oh ooh ooh okay. Yep. Well, it's kinda of educational for them too, so it's a little bit like the limbo between the good place and the bad place. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. So there's there's some philosophical mm. and spiritual depths to this which I found quite interesting. You know, nice. and I never okay. I walked into the show not expecting anything like that at all. Now Yeah, yeah. Now Dagger, um well, strangely enough, she can form daggers out of light energy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And other things. It's interesting there, too, because they do explore her powers and extend and expand them as well. So I thought that was really cool that they did that. Now, the two main actors in this show, uh, Tyrone Johnson and um, Tandy Bum, we'll go to those in a moment. I want to talk about Joe Pekaski, who's the showrunner for this one, the creative person who was working for for Freeform for this one, and – he is a creator behind the show Underground, which was about the Underground Railroad for slaves show. in the um, yep. American 19th century. And he also worked a lot on heroes.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. And he's actually done uh, comics for Marvel as well, in- including Secret Invasion, humans uh, Ultimate Fantastic Four, and he has also written for the Daredevil series too. Uh, so, right. you know, he's got some chops in this area and it really does show because it's just, yeah. it hits the ground running. I feel within the first three episodes you get a really mm. good idea of where this is going and mm. it intrigued me. I thought, I'm watching this, I'm thinking, yeah, I like this. I want to see where this is going. I binge watched the entire two seasons.
0: <laughs> so you've finished all all done and dusted for you. Yeah, done. I I um have watched only the first The Pilot and a bit of the second episode just to get my feet wet, see what I thought. And I agree, I think it sets it up the first episode. I mean, they're long episodes. I think the first one is almost an hour. Mm-hmm. But it uses that time. I mean None of it's too original in that it sets up a bit of the past, I don't think this is a spoiler, past tragedy trope stuff and then also a bit about the characters and then their present day and their relationship with each other and then introduces the powers and, you know, the supernatural element as well. And I had a really good sense of who these characters were by the end of that one episode and also was intrigued enough to wonder about you know they also set up some breadcrumbs for a bigger mystery and some breadcrumbs of, you know, a larger plot that's unfolding somewhere that undoubtedly these characters are going to become embroiled in. So I'm I'm happy to hear that it continues strongly for the rest of the season and the the whole series. Mm, it does
1: indeed. And this is a little bit like the like many other series before. There are big bads for each season.
0: Yeah. Oh good. That's fun though cuz they can play with that a bit.
1: Now the two big bads from the first season, and actually an ongoing big bad, is the corporate <laughs> one, Roxxon, yes. and that's mm-hmm. a multinational corporation that has been the villain in Marvel comic books for a long time and occasionally gets mentioned in the movies and series and so on. But they, right. they lean mm-hmm. into, into it here. They've been exploring for oil, so they say, in the Gulf off of New Orleans. Mm and mm-hmm. so this is very you know to the moment hurricane katrina the yeah. the gulf oil spill you know these sorts of things that they're, they're plugged into that quite well and that is another point about this show strong sense of place yeah
0: you know? yeah
1: and i really enjoy that and that it's not new york yeah <laughs> now with new orleans comes voodoo that they mm-hmm. and they they indeed do do that voodoo so well in this show <laughs> and there's a lot about it in here that I, you know, look, I don't know a whole lot about that. Read a few Wikipedia articles now <laughs> <laughs> and a few other things, being very respectful of the, the culture. And in this, they, they back right up to and, and hook up and drive off with the whole concept that voodoo in this context is not only a, a, a religion that's heavily accessing African religious and spiritual stories but it's also plugged into catholicism and you know in some of the original places in Haiti and so on they were they were covering the old african religions with the catholicism so they could get away with it you know ah, which is interesting well, it's fascinating because of course christian religions and so on have been taking pagan Mm. events mm. and celebrations and sometimes even gods. Picking stuff. and choosing. Yeah, and picking and choosing yeah. and pulling them forwards. And this is the other way around. So mm, I feel mm, there's mm. a very strong sense of that. And I felt right at home and watching this because I've been watching so many <laughs> Latino <laughs> animated movies which have been using like the Day of the Dead
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: I feel like there's this this synergy that's whirling around my head of these things. I'm not religious in any way, shape, or form, but I do find it (laughs) fascinating to see the cultural aspects of this and how it's woven into the storyline. And it really is quite strong. Now, that said, I will defer to anyone who is immersed in those cultures and tells me that it's wrong. You know, mm, yeah, their portrayal or anything. Yeah, it, you mean? Yeah, it's not for yeah. me to judge, but it, it it felt convincing to me. And hey, I'm just watching the television yeah. show, so we'll go with that for now. <laughs> now let's have a, a track here. Now this is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Both of the leads, Aubrey Joseph, who plays Cloak, and Olivia Hastings mm-hmm. Holt, who plays Dagger, they're both singers.
0: Oh, perfect! <laughs> we love to hear that.
1: Yeah. So, um, and. To give you a bit of background on them afterwards, we'll, but I'll, I'd like to play a track from Olivia Holt first just to get you into that sort of, oh, they've got good voices too. So naturally this is called Come Sail Away, which we were talking about to start with. And it is uh, also kind of the theme for the show too. So, Well, bits of it are anyway. And this is from the Cloak & Dagger original television soundtrack album season one because they've got two albums for it. This is Cory Doctorow, author of Little Brother, Information Doesn't Want to Be Free, and the forthcoming novel Walk Away. And you are listening to Zero G on 3RRR. It's all what's baked onto the crust there, isn't it? Come sail away with me. Olivia Holt, who plays Tandy Bowen, Dagger, in the Cloak and Dagger series on Oh Disney Plus, actually, is where you can catch up with it now. Even though it was cancelled in its second after its second season, it's mm. still there, and I think well worth watching. Just going to riff through the, the characters quickly. Aubrey Joseph mm-hmm. plays Cloak, the teleporter in this superhero mm-hmm. duo, and he actually says that he was watching Luke Cage on Netflix when he was trying when he got the call. Oh, <laughs> nice. So he said, "Yeah, it was very <laughs> surreal." He's also a rapper, and he plays. Tyrone Johnson cloak in the series he's a great actor in this he's only about 24 or so young adult mm. eventually, and he plays a high school age character in this late high school I'm just thinking it would be and um mm-hmm. he's he's not he's not a stereotype poorer person from, mm. from the uh, the mean streets of New Orleans, although he does, his family does actually come from that background. He's living a, a pretty comfortable middle-class life at this stage. And um, he's suddenly jerked out of that because of an encounter that he has with Dagger very early on in their lives, I think about uh, when they're eight years old or something like that. And there's a big disaster in the Gulf and... Uh-huh. an explosion uh-huh. on Roxanne's oil rig, which uh-huh. is the creative trauma, the origin story yeah. of Cloak and Dagger. And that's where the two characters are linked together for their futures. And, mm. you know, so he's he's not doing too badly in his life, uh, whereas Olivia Holt is doing fairly poorly. She's a runaway. Her... Mother is abusing substances because she's self-medicating and because mm. she's trying to cope with the death of her husband, the Tandy character's father, in that mm. oil rig disaster. And mm-hmm. so, you know, things have come undone for her in a big way. She's holed up in an abandoned church, basically. Mm. I felt very much See- like there was a daredevil story going on there, With, you know. Yeah. But... <laughs>
0: Yeah, lots of excuses for some nice shots in the church. And and it does seem like that she's she's living there and by choice. She doesn't want to be at home with the mother. I was a bit confused as to what their ages were meant to be. But, yeah, I would say they're meant to be late teen. Yeah. Um, yeah, and because Tyrone's still uh, going to school and things. Mm. But I'm not sure what she's up to. But I think, yeah, like you say, she's uh, off, the, off on her own path. <laughs> she's also a con man. This is how. Yes. Well, con man slash plain up petty thief, really, isn't she? Yes
1: and no. The interesting part about it is what she's doing for the most part is running scams against rich young men. So. She
0: She does pickpocket as well, which.
1: (laughs) Oh, she's she's into um, looting houses as well. Yeah. You know, she. Yeah. Uh, gets into houses because of romantic entanglements with young men and basically drugs them and then her friends come in and rob the place. So, Mm. you know, she's got a whole thing. But part of that is they're usually deserving the the mark.
0: Yeah, I mean they certainly, show portrays them as, you know, you're kind of happy to see that they've been one-upped. But I would, yeah, I would say she probably doesn't discern necessarily. But, you know. You I know.
1: mention that because it's kind of important because it gives her a template for being a vigilante later on. Mm, you know? Interesting. Yeah, there's that sort of thing going on there. So there's a, a, a sort of a almost like a predestination for that. And that might be possible yeah. in the context of the voodoo in this story and in fact it is I'll give that away right now Mm. there are (laughs) elements of that now Aubrey uh, Joseph has as I was saying a singer before he was born in New New York oddly enough which is where the home of superheroes in the MCU quite often but not always and he has been in a few other things but you know he seems to have made this role his own and you can hear him in future Spider-Man animated stories and and so mm-hmm. on because he's playing, still playing the character's voice at least for the moment. And that gives me hope that one day we'll see Cloak and Dagger appear in, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in some kind of Marvel comic book movie. Who knows? Or another series apart from Runaways. Now, Olivia Holt was, well, she comes through the Disney school of, um, of mm-hmm. Disney movies like Kickin' It where she's a, a martial arts sort of person and girls versus
0: monster and you
1: know there's that's a few of those sort of disney channel type shows yeah
0: yeah i see yeah
1: but she's also voiced um tinkerbell in some little movies and No alone and you know that sort of thing you can see mm-hmm. where she's been going with those and now with these two characters, alas, cancelled from their series. We have a whole bunch of other people in there. very competent and strong ensemble cast, I thought. Uh, we've got um, uh, Andrea Roth playing Melissa Bowentandy's substance-abusing mother. And she's been around for so long that she was in the Robocop the series back in 1994. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> JD Evermore is a reliable, heavy, playing a cop called Connors who shot mm-hmm. Aubrey's brother in the show. Uh, that's part of his mm-hmm. original trauma. And he has a great character arc in, in this story that's very interesting, actually, not what you'd expect for uh, such a dyed in the wall mongrel <laughs> in this show. Mm. Emma Lahana plays Bridget O'Reilly, a Harlem-based detective who comes down to New Orleans. So she's like, like the new NYPD cop you know, who's, mm. who's, who's down in New Orleans and she's come down for various reasons, but here she has to play the legal contact for Cloak and Dagger. You know how there's always an inside, a cop or yeah. a or somebody like that? Yeah, so she's sort of there as an anchor point. But she gets up in, involved in the uh, in the superhero origins too. So she mm. has a character to come out in her personality as well. And that's great. It's actually really good. For the actress it must be amazing to play the two distinctive parts because they are very much a Jekyll and Hyde her okay. particular characters we've got um, and she's a New Zealand actress too by the way um, in uh, power rangers and so on so she plays Bridget O'Reilly and that's kind of interesting because there's a there's a, a catholicism like saint bridget as well and and mm. I feel like there actually there's actually some really good synergy going on here with that to to play into the voodoo roles they do actually have a, a voodoo priestess in this uh voodooine mm-hmm. i should say and, and and that's a very strong aspect of the story too but i could get lost wandering through the characters of two entire seasons so i'm not i will call out um the voodooine angela davis playing chantelle fuselier who is quite pragmatic at it she is a 3d printer to make the um the voodoo dolls.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs>
1: great touch. Brooklyn McLean in the second season, plays a thoroughly interesting villain, not too far from uh, Jessica Jones's Kilgrave.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. he,
1: and he's um, this is a, a music-based villain, a little bit like the guy in Joss Whedon's uh, Once More with Feeling. Oh, musical-based yeah, villain. Musical-based All right. superpowers. So. That that's something to look forward to, and the the source of some great set dressing, where they make a a, a record store in the darkness dimension, and it's like a oh, it's, cool. it's a bit like a Twilight Zone episode. So yeah, some really great characters there to come up if you watch both seasons of Cloak and Dagger, and also look out for um, a character called Mina Hess, who's um, a kind of a well, she's a scientist working for Roxon and we've Mm -hmm. seen her before in all sorts of things, but we've heard her voice as Giggle McDimples in the Toy Story 4. Now, (laughs) she she is an Asian-American and, or I should say a Japanese-American, and the interesting thing is about this show, another thing is that it's very, very inclusive. Mm. They have a lot of women in the writer's room. They have a lot of African-Americans. The cast is extremely diverse Mm -hmm. uh, and... I think that really adds to the story and makes it um, feel like it's it's vibrant and alive. And so I, I, that's why I love this show. Great procedural, interesting superpowers mm-hmm. that they explore, and yep. they do a lot with the physicality of it that I had not expected. So oh, okay. I'm watching it thinking, "Yeah, that's pretty cool." They've actually developed that along lines that make sense, but it's yeah. also surprised me. So really interesting characters great chemistry between the male and female lead and although it yeah. looked like it was probably heading towards some more of a romantic relationship because mm. because we only got the two seasons it never really gets there so uh, oh
0: is that a spoiler rob
1: <laughs> well two seasons you know so you'll get that mm. you'll get maybe they don't even build on any tension like that in that so it's a very professional mm. sort of thing and i like that they're friends at this stage in the show and that's the way they are unless they pick it up somewhere else. Uh, you know, so there's everything going for this show. Great musical palette uh, akin to the uh, the Netflix series, mm-hmm. so very mm-hmm. well chosen. And, and I just enjoyed the hell out of Cloak and Dagger and it is on oh, Disney+. Plus, It's only two seasons but you can catch up with the characters again in some animated stories and also with a crossover in the Runaways series. Mm-hmm. Enough said, as Stan Lee would say. All right, so we'll have a track here, and Mm -hmm. I think we will go with the one by Aubrey Joseph, who is cloak in the show. So good when they both happen to be singers, the two main characters. And this is a track called Numb featuring Dan Henning, and this is by Aubrey Joseph, and you can find this on the Cloak and Dagger Season 2 original soundtrack album. This is Richard Hatch. I played Captain Apollo in the original Battlestar Galactica and Tom Zarek in the new series. You're listening to Zero G on 3 R FM. And I am not and have never
0: been a Cylon.
1: Probably. Mm-hmm. Well, we're numb there featuring Danny Henning by Aubrey Joseph, who plays Cloak in the Cloak and Dagger season, two original soundtrack album that we had there. So, you know, one of the singing stars of the show. And now we leave... Cloak and Dagger, with all Mm -hmm. of its, and I I, I didn't mention this, but with its zombie rage monsters. (laughs) Hey, that show had it all for me.
0: (laughs) Topical linkage. I can see the segue. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and we move on to another subject, science fictional subject. Now, the thing about Cloak and Dagger is it's two seasons, so it's hard to get across two entire seasons of storyline in a brief Review of it, and so I'm really giving you just a taste of it. That is not a problem with an anthology TV series, and we love those mm-hmm. on Zero G. Going back to the likes of Twilight Zone and Outer Limits and all of their reboots along the way, the Ray Bradbury Theatre, even Love, Death, and Robots more recently, mm-hmm. Electric Dreams, and Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. And that is the show that this most resembles, and the show is called SF8.
0: Yes, so we're taking a bit of another turn to look at what's happening in Korean TV and cinema in a way, I suppose, because this sci-fi anthology series is out of Korea. So it was released in 2020 and created by Min, Min Dong, And uh, his motivation was that, in his opinion, he felt many directors had ideas and were interested in doing things around science fiction themes and they wanted to make kind of something, they wanted to make something out of the science fiction genre, but because of the limitations of budget and, you know, that not necessarily there would be a lot of science fiction things that were, I guess, at that time uh, financed in South Korea, that not every director got an opportunity to do such a thing and work in that space. So he thought, why don't I do A anthology series, and I'll get a a different director per episode, and they can do the whole episode with the idea and just execute it and really have a a crack at doing something within the sci-fi genre. So here it is. It's called SF8, and it is on SBS On Demand, so you can catch up with it there. All eight episodes are available. And it was a collaboration between the Directors Guild of Korea, so all of the directors who take part in this series are part of the Directors Guild of Korea and it was also in collaboration with the TV network MBC and the online platform Wave so it's a really interesting mixture of that's why I sort of said a bit of cinema in there in that there's some cinematic ideas and they're really trying to get directors in to be able to do their own unique vision but it's was released episode by episode on TV and then extra directors cut episodes released on the Wave platform. So I thought that was a really interesting kind of coming together of all kinds of different strands of media. So anyway, uh, as I mentioned, eight episodes. I've watched uh, a few of these and I was a bit bad. I went in and I had a look at the episode synopses and thought, I'm going to watch the ones that interest me, which I don't think you're meant to do even with an anthology. And uh, I watched uh, one called Love Virtually, white crow and blink and I understand oh. Rob you've watched a couple too so you've watched some of the other ones
1: yes so we can just run through some of the tropes here quickly just to give you an idea uh, mm. episode one the prayer is about the impact of human form carer robots mm-hmm. in the med- mm-hmm. in the medical sort of area and uh, they're more expensive they're, they're sorry they they're expensive but they're cheaper than hiring humans <laughs> yes. And it's a, yes. it's a fine story which proceeds along lines that you might expect but there's a very nice follow through at the end of it which I hadn't expected and mm-hmm. I thought that was a great story, The Prayer, it's the first one. And look, if you've ever had to be a carer, mm. you will understand where this story is from. I, mm. I felt very strongly Mm-mm. affected by it. So a, a great story mm. and really a nice way of representing the robots, too, I thought. They didn't go too far out on a limb in terms of what you would expect from them. But, you know, we have seen this kind of thing before, like, you know, in, in various series. Most recently, there have been all sorts of ones about androids and so on. But I thought it was well handled here and quite delicately in parts, too. Mm, mm. The second one is called Man Sin. And mm-hmm. it's about a big data application that can predict the future mm. well enough so that everybody gets addicted to it. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And this is a, you know, to the point where it becomes a religion. And I don't know about, there, there seems to be, there might be a trope running through the series. I can't confirm it because of the number of episodes I've seen. Uh, there's a bird that features in the first one, and there's a bird mm-hmm. that features in the second one, different types of birds, but I'm wondering if there's an avian. Yes, there is, I ah, can confirm. Excellent. There you go. Shades <laughs> mm-hmm. of uh, Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: exactly, exactly.
1: The third one, uh, anyway, that one, again, has an, a great twist in it at the end, and I thought, yeah, mm-hmm. nice, mm-hmm. I like that. The third one called Jones Galaxy, it's set in 24, no, I was just thinking how far it is from now. Oh, yeah, actually it's about close. 2046 is when it's set. Since okay. it seems to be a popular date in science fiction at that, that time. And the world has been contaminated with a fine dust that limits mm. travel and causes problems for people. In fact, if you have not been vaccinated against this, and you see where they're going here, you'll only live for mm-hmm. 40 years. If you have been vaccinated against it, you can live for 100 and so, oh. they, so they divide people into the C's and the N's. So this is like clean who've been vaccinated and N's mm-hmm. for not vaccinated. And the social commentary on that is savage and to the point and appropriate. <laughs> and you know, mm. this is a, a metaphor for our, our current situation as well. Mm, but mm, what mm. science fiction does is hold a mirror up to that. And it doesn't really necessarily say, it's bad to do this or that, but it does give you an idea of how to explore it, some avenues that we might have a look at mm. and implications. Yeah. So those are the yeah. the three episodes I've seen.
0: Yep. And then the next episode, number four, is called Blink, and it is about a cop called ji And she, I mean, this is a whole part of the premise of the episode. She has <laughs> the quote-unquote tragic past. And she's sort of dealing with that as well as trying to do her job as a detective who's always felt that she really follows her gut and knows how to do good police work. However, uh, they've introduced, because of an incident that happened when she was on the job, that she's now to have a new partner. Now, because this show is science fiction anthology, it's not just any partner. It is, of course, an AI, artificial intelligence partner. And then um, G.U. goes on to become quite – Uh, have a really interesting relationship with the AI as they go on to embark on solving a crime together. And that one actually, despite some of the, (laughs) despite the kind of what you would imagine is a more dour tone, it actually is quite a fun in parts buddy cop episode and there's little bits of shades of ghost movies as well you know when people are talking to someone that other people can't see and a little bit of comedy around that then they bring in a bit of matrix like combat and then they actually wrap it up in quite a nice hopeful way which i was unex- i was not expecting that episode to have quite so much in it tonally and it really takes you on quite the journey which I really enjoyed um that there's some light moments in there as well so that's Blink episode four now episode five is called Baby It's Over Outside now this one I actually haven't watched but the premise is basically that the world's going to end and so as that approaches quicker and quicker um it's sort of about two people who want to try and save the world because people have started to uncover these unnatural abilities and so on. So it's a bit of a discussion about bigger picture topics around human existence in the world and so on. So that one sounds pretty intriguing. Now, the 6th episode White Crow is actually the one I zeroed in on because it was of most interest zeroed in. Zeroed in on because it was the most interesting to me premise-wise. That one's about an online game streamer who's quite popular, but after she all these rumors come out about her being a liar and having a dark past, she loses a lot of her followers and reputation. So in order to try to regain her reputation and gather back her followers and kind of save herself in the face of this humiliation and being cancelled, I think is what we're sort of exploring here, then she decides that she's going to live stream participating in a new VR game that is all the whole premise is delving into your past traumas and working through them and overcoming them, which to me sounds the last thing I ever want to do in a game I would absolutely not want to play. But uh, that's the whole premise of this. And you learn more and more about her. Her name's Juno, about her. And it's actually that episode is really... One of the more interesting ones, again, it's playing with genre. It's got psychological horror tropes in there. Some of it's quite unsettling. There's some imagery and it's quite, because they can play around with the fact it's within a game, they really get quite inventive with the imagery and things Juno goes through and the things you uncover in the course of the episode, which does end up being a story about um, bullying between young girls and also about, Uh, you know, deception and things like that. So it actually comes out to be quite an interesting story. And that one was quite a striking episode that really, I probably shouldn't have watched it first, (laughs) which um, really kind of struck me. It was very, very interesting. Uh, the seventh episode called Love Virtually. Now, this is a lighter touch, so this comes after we've just gone down the road of White Crow. This one's about a couple who met online and started dating in a virtual world, but then, you know, in the mm-hmm. virtual world, they're not exactly how they appear in the real world, but there's a bit of a twist. And that one is really interesting because it's tackling, and this is what I like about the series. A lot of them are tackling some very big societal ideas that are quite important in Korea. So the bullying episode, and this one talks a bit about plastic surgery and things like that. So that was what I found interesting about this episode. It explores these two people that met and it's this idea about you know would you still like me for who I am and that kind of thing and finding true love and that definitely leans into a lighter rom com bit more like a K drama vibe. There's a lot of comedy in that one and that one's quite light and just playing around with a bit of fun with the kind of idea of virtual dating and what that would mean uh, in the in a world where a lot of a lot of people do get plastic surgery in Korea to change their appearance, to become more appealing. And some do end up looking quite similar to each other. So, and then our last episode, because it's an eight episode series uh, is called Empty Body. Now this one sounds very interesting and it's about um, AI again in the human brain. Our protagonist's son dies in an accident but then he is, of course, brought back to life with the help of AI. So this is something we've seen commonly in a lot of other science fiction series, but, of course, uh, she becomes worried that maybe the AI is not working as expected and uh, it starts to get a little bit more sinister than what she was hoping it would be. So that's Empty Body. That's the last episode in the series, SF. Eight. And so you can see where the parallels and people are drawing kind of comparisons with Black Mirror because yeah. a lot of the episodes deal with artificial intelligence, AR, VR, uh, gaming as well. I mean, South Korea is very big on gaming as well. They've incorporated some of those themes, horror okay. themes, super the supernatural, and, of course, you know, disasters, end of the world, pandemics as well. Um, maybe should we have a track before we delve on a little bit more? Well, yeah, I reckon so. that's probably a good idea. And all right, so dug out some music. We've got let's listen to talked a little bit about the White Crow episode, and so I managed to find the score online that you can download. So I thought I'd play a track from that because that was quite a striking episode. So this one is from White Crow from SF eight. It's by Kim GA. And this one roughly translates to the title, roughly translates to missing three hours or the gone three hours, something like that. So let's take a listen to that and set a sinister tone for our discussion of this sci fi anthology series.
1: Hi, I'm George Takei, and I play Admiral Sulu in Star Trek. Welcome aboard the starship Zero G. Admiral, hey, a guy can dream, can't he? <laughs>
0: So that one was from the White Crow episode of SF8, and it was called Sara Jin Se Shigan, which is roughly missing three hours. Uh, we're talking about that anthology sci-fi series, which you can watch on SBS On Demand now. There's eight episodes up. They're all quite long, about an hour, which I think is nice because it means you can really explore some of those ideas. I had my thoughts about it. What what were your thoughts, Rob?
1: Well, uh, what you were mentioning before when we were running through the tropes in the anthology series is that it did remind me that I do like it when they hold up that black mirror or otherwise to technology mm-hmm. and they explore it thoroughly. Mm-hmm. And those, all mm-hmm. of the ideas that we were discussing there, they're very much ripped from concerns in today's headlines about technology. Yeah. Um, and yes. It was like, and as I said, one of the things that attracted me to the Cloak and Dagger series we talked about before, were there were issues at the moment, you know, women's rights, uh, mm. uh, trafficking for sex slavery, which is one of the big themes in one of the series, you know, and so on. Things that are relevant to today, although seen in the science fictional lens.
0: Mm-mm. Yeah, they deal with things like, you know, dating online, self driving cars, AI, big data. And what I found quite interesting myself was, and you know, it should be appraised as its own entity for sure, yeah. that the technology and elements were maybe somewhat uh, often a device as an excuse to tell another story, which I think is fine. I think the narratives tended to be quite focused. And in the ones I saw at least there's fairly light world building and I think part of that is maybe around budgetary constraints because I was impressed to hear that Min Kyudong did mention that um, – the episodes were all produced e- with equal budget so each director got his own bag of money and it was all equal and the overall budget was lower than of one commercial film yeah so they're working with not a lot of money and so it makes sense to zone in on how can we explore this one idea and we don't have all because you know Black Mirror had a massive budget by the end um and so they've done I think they've pulled it off quite nicely and it does feel very unique. I think despite comparisons, I thought tonally it was quite unique and I thought that it certainly was offering its own perspective on this kind of anthology. And like I mentioned before, some very salient cultural Korean ideas were in the series as well, yeah. which I think makes it still worth a look as as well as that.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think it was a good series to watch. And I intend to keep watching it to just see how individual episodes play out because they're interesting commentary upon where we are going.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do recommend the White Crow episode. I thought that was an interesting one. I'd be keen to hear your, your thoughts on that. And I do think that... It doesn't have quite as much bite as some of the anthologies I've seen. I mean, I didn't feel thoroughly depressed into the dirt after, which is kind of (laughs) nice though. There was light and shade. There was horror stuff. There was some disturbing stuff, but there was also many light moments, lighter tones, and it wasn't all dark, dreary, grim and disturbing. And that made it more palatable. I do think you miss out on some of that because part of the impact of Black Mirror is how it gets you, but I think there's plenty here to enjoy. And yet another show that just
1: really plays to the power of South Korean genre television and cinema. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we've totally been it. It's an outstanding sort of body of work, really, when you look at it. The same as. Yeah you know the Japanese cinema which we love so much on the show and the Hong Kong wuxia, and you know I just love exploring all these different genres that we keep finding (laughs) that's
0: great yeah agree agree so that one's uh, F S 8 it's on SBS on demand all eight episodes are up now recommend taking a look seeing what you think and, uh, yeah, see for
1: yourself. Hmm. And Cloak and Dagger is on Disney Plus, the unknown superhero show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's about it for the show for today. I think we will go out with a Bowie of the Week track. And this is actually from the new album, Toy. Yes, another one of those posthumous Bowie albums where they've kind of done different versions of earlier Bowie songs. And this I thought would play off Cloak and Dagger, Shadow Man. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster. And till next week, we will leave you with Joe Brunetic coming up next.